Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Thank you so much for the invitation. There's no passage of Scripture, perhaps, that exemplifies more the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ for the lost and the broken people, not only of Israel, but of the world, than the words that are recorded at the end of Matthew chapter 23 and the beginning of Matthew chapter 24. Could you turn to those with me for a moment? Matthew chapter 23 from verse 37, and I'm reading from the uh, New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Jesus has had a significant confrontation with the scribes and with the Pharisees, and then he weeps over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. As Jesus came out of the temple and was going away, his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. Then he asked them, you see all these, do you not? Truly, I tell you, not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will this be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered them, beware that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All this is but the beginning of the birth pangs. Then they will hand you over to be tortured and will put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, and they will betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of the increase of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold But anyone who endures to the end will be saved, and this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Amen. God always blesses the public reading of his inspired and his infallible word. That excerpt of scripture that I read for you is this remarkably moving passage as Jesus weeps over the city of Jerusalem, his yearning and his longing for them to acknowledge his deity and to acknowledge his purposes and to walk into the plans and purposes that God has for Israel that they rejected. 
And it ended with that powerful cry and this gospel of this news, this good news of the kingdom will be preached to all the nations and then the end will come. And that still hasn't happened. We still long for that preaching of the good news of the kingdom throughout the nations of the world. In the same decade as the Bangor Worldwide Convention began, actually a few years earlier, your first conversations took place in 1936. The first conference was in, or convention was in 1937. In 1931, a young man was sensing the call of, well, he was a middle-aged man, was sensing the burden of God for China, for what was then called the China Inland Mission. His name was Frank Houghton, and he longed that in the United Kingdom there would be a move of God's Spirit upon people that they might rise and answer the call to China. At that point, it was estimated that there were around 700,000 followers of Jesus Christ in that nation. And Houghton wanted to capture people's imaginations, and he knew that in that generation, as much as now, music could do that. So he put his pen to paper and wrote a hymn that you will know very well. Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees, a need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. We who rejoice to know thee, renew before thy throne the solemn pledge we owe thee to go and make thee known. Where other lords beside thee hold their unhindered sway, where faces that defied thee defy thee still today, with none to heed their crying for life and love and light, unnumbered souls are dying and pass into the night. We bear the torch that flaming fell from the hands of those who gave their lives proclaiming that Jesus died and rose. Ours is the same commission, the same glad message ours, fired by the same ambition, to thee we yield our powers. O Father who sustained them, O Spirit who inspired, Saviour whose love constrained them to toil with zeal untired, from cowardice defend us, from lethargy awake, forth on thine errands send us to labor for thy sake. As a result of the hymn, 200 people gave their lives to go and serve in the China Inland Mission over the next few years. Today, a conservative estimate would put the number of followers of Jesus Christ in China at around 150 to 175 million. Those 200 people heard God's call and answered it in lots of different ways. They said yes. They saw the great need. They felt the great burden. They shared something of the compassion of Jesus Christ, and they went. In 2012, Keith and Kristen Getty read the hymn and realized that it needed to be launched again into a new generation. The whole Sing project was born out of that, and they uh, produced an album named after that hymn and added a chorus to it. We go to all the world with kingdom hope unfurled. No other name has power to save but Jesus Christ the Lord. I love the picture, maybe it's because I'm from Northern Ireland, of a flag 
being unfurled. A flag of hope, a flag of purpose, a flag of destiny and grace and mercy. And yet, when I knew that I had been invited to come and speak to you tonight, and I prayed some months ago now about what God might have me say, it was to this great sense of Matthew chapter 24 that I returned, and particularly verse 14. And this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. And yet tonight, as we sit here, there are roughly 7.47 billion people in the world, and 3.15 billion of those people live in unreached people groups. An unreached people group is a group of people defined by ethnicity or by ethnography that have, um, may have heard the gospel but have not got an indigenous church. They don't have a group of people from within their own community that have been taught and discipled in the gospel with such confidence that they can become disciple-making disciplers. There are roughly, according to some estimates, uh, 16,800 people groups in the world, and of those 16,800 or so, according to the Joshua Project, 6,900 of those people groups are unreached. 95% of them live in the 1040 window, where 10% of the world's missionary endeavor takes place. 269 unengaged people groups around the world. They're people that have never heard of Jesus Christ. And they constitute somewhere around 5.7 million people. And here we sit tonight, living between the great commission of Jesus Christ to all his apostles, that they would be people who made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples, that they would teach people to follow him, that they would teach him all of their, they would teach them all of his ways and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We live between that commission, which we all know to be true, otherwise we wouldn't be sitting here. And that great hope of consummation of the kingdom at the end of time when all people will bow their knees before him. And we often find ourselves as human beings living in a context of trying to be missional or confessional. Well, we don't need to choose between those two things. To be confessional is to be missional. To be a confessional follower of Jesus Christ, to declare his name, is to put your name against living a missional life. There's no opt-in clause around that idea. There's no part of it that we, you, I, or anyone else who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ can opt out of. If a church isn't committed to mission, put bluntly, it isn't a church. Not in the biblical sense of the word. To be a community of people who follow Jesus Christ is to have mission embedded into our heart and into our life, whatever it might look like. And I want to reflect just for a few minutes with you on what that might mean for us through three different lenses. Why does this idea of mission still matter? Why do we still need a banger worldwide missionary convention? And there are many things that I could say to you about why I think that is still as important, if not more important now than it has ever been. But let me just highlight 
three for you. Firstly, we need this. We need to be inspired by it. We need to be motivated by it, moved by it, touched by it, have our imaginations uh, set alight by it because it is what we are commissioned for. The commission of the Lord Jesus to his people in Matthew chapter 20, it hasn't changed. And if for a moment you will permit me, imagine that this commission could be broken down into the central command, which is to go and to make, all disciple, to make disciples of all nations and to teach them and to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And for one moment, imagine that that is the command of God. It is what he has told his people to do. And it is held in a vice-like grip of security. The first is that this is the command of Jesus to us. All authority has been given to me, he said. Therefore, you go. This command is not rooted in our capacity. It's not rooted in our ability. It's not rooted in our strategy. It's not rooted in our confidence. It's rooted in the authority that rests in the second person of the Trinity. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, you go. One side of this vice holds up this command. It is in my authority that you go. It's in my power that you go. And here's the other side of the, the vice. And behold, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. My father-in-law, who um, is in the last stages of uh, dementia and uh, was a, a free Church of Scotland minister for the for 15 years, he became a follower of Jesus at 46. He trained for 45. He trained for the ministry in his early, uh, late 40s and early 50s. He entered pastoral ministry for 12 or 13 years, had to exit it because my mother-in-law had kidney failure. Then he developed early stage dementia. Would love working with woodwork. And he would often show me a vice in his um, workshop, and on one particular occasion, he, makes, he used to make walking canes, and he had a cane in it, and th this vice was gripped around this piece of old gnarled wood, and he said, that will not get out of that vice until I'm finished with it. And I can remember looking at it and thinking of these words, that's the vice that holds the Great Commission, an unmovable commitment from God, I will be with you and an unmovable sense of authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. This still matters because this commission still stands. In the words of William Booth, just a few days before he died, um, uh, he gave an address at the Royal Albert Hall, and somebody had said to him, why do you keep doing what you're doing? You're an old man, slow down, stop, step out of the spotlight. Google, if you want to, his fuller speech, but he said this, whilst there remains one dark soul in England without the light of God, I will fight. I will fight to the very end. It's that sense of inspiration and commission and deep call 
that means that there's still a task for us to do. Secondly, not only are we commissioned, but we are compelled by what? Obligation? Fear? Duty? No, there is a a much more profound, much more um, life-changing compulsion that rests upon us as followers of Jesus. The Apostle Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, particularly in verses 14 and 15, talking about his own desire to fulfill the call of God in his life. He says this, the love of God or the love of Christ compels us. We do this because his love has been placed in us profoundly. Alexander Strouch wrote a book some years ago called Leading with Love Around Mission and reflecting on Hudson Taylor's call to China. He said this, Taylor believed if money could motivate the merchants of England to risk life-threatening oceans and enter the interior of China at great personal risk of loss of life, Could not the love of Christ motivate missionaries to do the same for the kingdom of God? The famous and rather irksome missionary, David Livingston, who was not by all um, accounts a very pleasant man, once wrote in his diary, if the commission of an earthly king is considered an honor, How could the commission of our heavenly king be considered anything less? To be called, to be commissioned, and to be compelled by God's love is a life-transforming and life-giving thing. We don't do this in order to propagate a culture. We don't do it to propagate a denomination, to propagate a stream. We don't even do it to propagate a religion. We are called to be people who go to uplift Jesus Christ, to let the world see that his power, his love, his grace, his mercy, his compassion is still able to transform lives, is still the only thing that can. And thirdly, and quite simply, not only do we do this out of a sense of being commissioned and a sense of being compelled, we do it out of a sense of having confidence. Back to what I said in my introductory remarks. We have at one end of the scale, if you like, at the birthing of the church, the commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have at the other end of the scale, the consummation of the kingdom when all things are put right and every tear is washed away and all pain and sorrow and suffering is no more and the kingdoms of our world will become, in the words of the book of Revelation, the kingdom of our God. We engage in the missionary endeavor because we are confident that we know the end of this story. And the end of this story is that God wins. We don't live as fearful, anxious people in a dying world. We live as resurrection people in a dying world. And the call of God upon his people is to make disciples in that sense of hope and conviction that God wins that all the nations will bow before him, that all the peoples of the earth will one day declare that he is Lord. Our desire 
is that as many as we are able to reach hear of that gospel and that good news. We trust his sovereignty. We trust his purposes. We trust his plans. I consider myself a reformed theologian from a charismatic tradition. And one of the great things, uh, one of the great omissions of Reformation theology is mission. It's not entirely absent, but it's not very present in the great reformers' theology. Why is that? Perhaps it's because they lived in a Christendom model world. Perhaps it's because God had called them to focus in on specific things. But why so often does mission find its way out of our budgets, out of our plans, out of our ideas, out of our imaginations, out of our strategies, out of our thoughts and our hopes and our dreams and our aspirations. I pray that this year, as in other years, God will touch women and men and young people through this convention, and they will follow the call of God, whether that's to go and work in a school in Belfast, to be the best grandparent or neighbor that they can be, to be the best physiotherapist or doctor or lawyer or shopkeeper or till operator at Tesco's, or to go to the other side of the world. My prayer is that we will each hear what God would have for us, and we will participate in the greatest story of hope and freedom and life that the world will ever see. But it costs, and it doesn't always look successful. I enjoyed hearing my brother about what God was doing through his ministry, and I commend it in Zimbabwe. Many of you will know, but perhaps some of you do not, that the tradition that my church is part of on the 24th of June, 1978, lost 13 missionaries in the Vumba. It's an area of hill country on the border, not far from the border between Mozambique and Zimbabwe. Four of them were children. Three of them were from Balam, well, two of them were from Balamina. Roy uh, Lynn and his three-week-old daughter, Pamela, and his wife, who was from the north of England, Lynn. When I think about their lives, 12 of them died uh, within hours of the attack, and one survived a few days. I'm profoundly and deeply moved was their life offered in vain? Did they lose? One woman that was part of that missionary team was home in furlough. Her name was Joy Bath. She was a midwife. She lived with the deep pain of losing all of those people. And nine years after they were killed, contracted HIV because of her treatment of folk in Zimbabwe and died. Another martyr. What about Jim Elliot? Were their lives laid down in vain? Was it wasted? I don't think so. I think what they were doing was investing in a kingdom that can know no end. Laying down their lives for something that lives beyond them. Giving all that they were and all that they believed and all that they had close in their hearts that they might see the kingdom of God extended. And I know it's old-fashioned language, and I know that many would say that we need to move away from it, but my deepest prayer for this generation is that we would see another generation raised.
that would follow the call of God and go wherever His Spirit leads them. And you don't have to be young to do that. A third-ager can do that. A retired grandmother can do that. A couple can do that. A family can do that. To answer the call of God and to go where He wants. To do that is just as hard with our neighbors and friends as it is to go to the other side of the world. But may each of us say yes to the call of Jesus Christ, that his kingdom might be extended through all that we are. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.